Good morning. I want to tell you a story about a young man or a young lady who is a teacher at a school. And uh, with her students, she insists on giving them very specific instructions. Now, if any of you have done with, you know, young children in school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, giving them very specific instructions can be very helpful. And this one afternoon, she asked the helper for the day, whose name was Stevie, to run an errand for her. And she said she wanted him to go down to the school office and wanted to make sure he knew where that was at. And he said yes. And she was trying to teach him how to follow step-by-step-by-step instructions. So if you ever had to deal with young children, usually if you give them more than one instruction, um, you're hoping that you'll get one of them a lot of times. And she's trying to teach them to be able to do more than one thing and keep it in their mind. And she says, I have this note and I want you to give it to the school secretary and her name is Mrs. Pampton. Do you remember her? And he's like, no, I don't remember her. And so he said, and then he goes, is she the one behind the desk? Because, you know, the reference things, you know, that that kind of helps sometimes. And she said, yes, that's right. He just said, okay, I'll find her. And he takes the note and off he goes. So as a teacher or even as a parent, you've now sent this child out and they, you hope they're kind of going the right direction, doing the right thing and all that. And, and, uh, she said, you know, some of our kids and our students, they're really good at following directions and other ones. Um, it's a squirrel moment. That means as soon as they step out the door and they're out of your sight, the first thing that comes by, they're like, Oh, look at that. And off they go. They told, it's just totally gone. And so she goes, um, the, the, uh, Stevie comes back and she's like, okay, let's, let's talk about this. And, and, uh, how did it go? You know, and, uh, Stevie in his normal exuberant self, he goes, there weren't no lady down there behind no desk in that office. Cause you know, some kids are a little more boisterous than other ones. And, uh, she said, well, she may have been not behind the desk, but somewhere in the office area. And she said, uh, um, well, what had happened? You know, she said, well, he, he said he'd met somebody there and he gave her the note. His, what was her name? I don't know, because they can't remember that long. So later at lunch at the time, the teacher was talking to the secretary and asked her, um, said, Stevie comes in and just the exuberant person he is. He goes, where's that lady behind the desk? Because she wasn't behind the desk. And she was over at a filing cabinet. She said, well, that's me. And he goes, well, what are you doing not being behind the desk? <laughs> and sometimes for us as Christians, that's us, right? Are we where we're supposed to be? Now, you're here in Sunday school. You're one of the, you know, one percenters, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, you come not just to the AM service. You're here for the Sunday school service. Not only that, you're here for the, you know, the substitute teacher. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, that takes a lot right there. So I want you to turn to Genesis. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 19, verse 26. And we're just going to look at some things about the Christian walk. And I want you to think of it in the context of being like in a national park where you're following a trail and there's a path to go on. And in Genesis chapter 19, 26, it says, and this is dealing with uh, Lot and his wife and his girls, it says, but his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Have you ever thought about why was she looking back? Why was she looking back? 
I'm going to tell you a simple answer. That's where her heart was. That's where her heart was. Her heart was back in the, in the city that was being destroyed, and that's why she looked back. And uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is... Does anybody remember the rest of the verse? You guys get an A already. Where's your heart? See, it's, it's easy for us to talk about a heart in a simple manner, but the hard part is trying to keep it soft, trying to keep it pliable for the Lord, and then try to do what God wants us to do with our hearts. Um, it's kind of like the, I, I, I can remember my grandma talking about this. She had a, she talked about a toy when she was little, it's called a flugie bird. And it was, and I've, I haven't seen the, I've never seen the toy, but I've heard her describe it. And she's basically, it's this bird that flies backwards because he says, I don't care where I'm going. I just want to see where I've been. <laughs> but we have people in our lives with our heart. That's where we're at. Our heart's not with the Lord. Our heart's, you know, somewhere else. It's it's looking back. It's at some point in the past. As a younger person, I can remember a certain time in my life when I was, oh, you know, 18, 19, 20, where my heart was in the past. You know, I'd had that girlfriend from high school and things didn't work out. And, you know, I didn't move beyond that. I was stuck there. And instead of going, well, you know, well, what did the Lord want? Well, that wasn't even a question I thought about even asking. Or thinking about, well, maybe God wants, you know, maybe this is God saying, hey, I have something else for you. I have something better for you. You know, where's the prayers that go, Lord, you know, show me. You know, that wasn't anywhere in my conversation of thought uh, anywhere. Um, another way to look at it is the good old days, right? Everybody can talk about the good old days. Um, I can talk about them because there's a lot of people here now. There are some people here older than me, but not a whole lot. But I remember, I grew up in Mayberry RFD. Some of you may not even know what that means. But um, I grew up in a small town where we had one cop. He didn't wear a uniform. And he drove around in an old state um, truck that was one of the old four-door Dodges from the late 60s, early 70s. And that was his, quote-unquote, police car. He had a gun, um, but he, most of the time he didn't carry it with him. You know, I'm not sure if he had the, you know, the bullet in the pocket or not, possibly. <laughs> Um, I could go down to the candy store and get candy like a Snickers for 10 cents. I could get two for one bubble gum. Now it wasn't necessarily the greatest bubble gum in the world, but I could get two for one bubble gum. Uh, you know, if I was really desperate for another, for also for a dime or for a nickel, they had these big tubes of nothing but colored sugar. Right. So if you really, yeah, pixie sticks and they had the little ones too, that held all these different, well, they supposedly had flavors. It was just sugar. I mean, you might as well just take the bag of sugar and, ah, you know, that's all it was. And then you're, you're doing circles out there, but it's okay. You're outside to your kid. Nobody was going to do anything to it. Uh, soda was a quarter and it, it, it came in a glass. It was all glass, you know, like the made in Mexico Coke. That's what we had. And those were a quarter cans came out later. Uh, they were starting to get popular in like the mid seventies. That's when, uh, in 1776, they had the Pepsi ones with the little designs on them. You had to have like 30 cans and you could put them up in this triangle and have this whole picture. You know, stuff like that. That's, that's where I grew up. Well, you know what? If I go back there now, it's not the same. It's not the same people. Uh, I can tell you nothing costs the same as what it used to be. You can't go back. Uh, turn over to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11.
Numbers chapter 11. We're going to look in verse 4. It says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Uh, we have we use this all the time when I'm talking to my kids and stuff like that, when they start doing some kind of list thing. Somewhere onions and garlic probably end up in the conversation as somebody's response to things. Um, talking about things we missed and everything else. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 17 and 19, Paul talks about he wants everybody to walk like him to follow him as he follows Christ. And the problem with us when we look down is if we're looking down like there are things, they're just looking down at the ground. They're looking for things for their belly. They're just looking at the food. They're not thinking of the big picture. They're not looking up. You know, it's no different than the dog. What does the dog do? You let him go outside. The first thing he does, or at least ours, is his nose goes down and they're sniffing around looking for what? Something that's on the ground. And we as Christians, a lot of times, we're doing the same exact thing. We're looking down. We're not paying attention to where the path is that God wants us to walk on. We're just looking right down, right now. My stomach's hungry. I need, my flesh wants, whatever it is, fill in the blank for you. It it may be different. But that's all we're focused on. So when you go out there and you say, hey, what's going on in the world today? Well, you know, let me look on Facebook so I can see what everybody else is doing because they're looking down too. Oh, hey, this is the restaurant I looked, went to and see, this is the food I'm about to eat. Look at me. Or, hey, I went out shopping. You know, this is my new attire. Or whatever it might be, they're just looking down at the present right now and not anything else. And I can tell you what, if you're looking down right now and you're trying to make decisions for your life, you're going to make a mess of things. That's not how God wants you to be when you're looking at those kinds of things. Uh, there's a story involving Yogi Berra, uh, who is a catcher for the New York Yankees. I'm a New York Yankees fan. Now, that's a long story how somebody from North Dakota becomes a New York Yankees fan. I'm going to give you the short version. The only really famous person we have in North Dakota is Roger Maris. So it was either that or the Minnesota Twins. And, well, you know, I picked the Yankees. And so uh, Henry Aaron's coming up to uh, bat. He was uh, playing for the Milwaukee Braves at that time. And they're playing in the World Series, and Yogi Berra, as he is off to do, like to have a commentary with the batter, trying to, you know, rile him up or get him off their game and that kind of thing. And as he came up, uh, Yogi said, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so you can read the trademark. Hank Aaron didn't say a thing, and the next pitch came in, he hit in the left field bleachers. And after rounding the bases and tagging up at home plate, Aaron looked down at Yogi and said, I didn't come here to read. <laughs> Turn over to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, we're going to look in verses 20 and 21. Here's another group of people that are on the path. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me, and I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? See, she's stuck. She can't even look around in her life. Naomi is so stuck. She says, call me bitter. There's some circumstances that had in her life, and they got her from looking off the path and looking the way she's supposed to go. She's not even paying attention to anything anymore. She's so consumed by what's going on. 
And let's face it, in today's world, it's very easy to get consumed with things. We can, can be consumed with what's going on in Ukraine. We can be consumed with what the national debt is, which is, what, 3.8 trillion or 3.82 trillion, something like that. It's some large amount, let's face it, but it's never going to get paid off. Uh, God's, God's just going to have to burn everything up because it's not going away. Romans chapter 12 has a lot to talk about for us to help us get our eyes off of us and get our eyes where they belong. And as we're looking at those things, one of the things to forget is there are so many things that the world and the flesh and the devil has to get us so bound up, so confused that we can't keep our eyes on anything for any amount of time. I mean, we're as a society, we have ADD. We can't concentrate and focus on anything anymore. We're constantly going from, you know, I didn't bring my phone up here. It's like, what's the next Twitter? You know, what's the next Facebook post coming in? Uh, oh, my phone dinged. I have to go. I have to go grab it right now. Pick it up and look at it. We're living in a world where we're so interrupted by things we can't focus on anything anymore. Um, and it and it's that has so many different ways that affects our lives. Have you ever thought about? I'll give you one of the hardest things for me. You know, let's just sit down and I'm going to pray to the Lord for an hour or half hour. So our church, we had a missions conference coming up before one pastor said, we're going to do set aside a half an hour schedule for the 24 hours and have somebody brain for a half an hour. And then he goes, in order to help you out, I'm going to give you some ideas to chop it up into five minutes. And here's what to pray for. Easy, right? You'd think. And then pretty soon you're praying, you know, I'm praying for I'm praying for Pastor Stewart. I'm praying for whoever. And then, you know, who knows what pops in your brain? Pizza. Um, you know, where did this come from? How did I get from this to pizza? Or whatever else goes on. Your brain, it's like, it's like watching Alice in Wonderland. It, you just never know what's coming around the next corner. Cause you're constantly distracted by things. Why? Your flesh. I'm hungry. Cause we also did the same thing. We did a, hey, we're gonna take the higher week and have different people fast and everything else. You know, your body's fasting. It's telling you, hey, I'm hungry. And it's kind of like having a dog or a pet or a kid. And it comes back not too long. But, hey, I'm still hungry. You know, now we can use that to our benefit when we're fasting is, you know, it's kind of the old saying. Well, if your tummy's telling you you're hungry, it's time to pray. Right. And then while you're praying, your tummy's still going, I'm still hungry. <laughs> Interrupting you. It's a lot like mentioning the story of Alice in Wonderland. It's when Alice was talking to the Cheshire cat. She said, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? He said, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. She says, I don't care uh, much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. That's where we are at as a society. It doesn't matter. The truth is relative. Uh, you know, whatever makes you feel good. Uh you know, let's just face it. You can be binary, non-binary. You can, whatever you want, just have at it and be happy. And the problem is we have people who are less happy now with all the supposed freedoms that they have than they've ever been. We just have confusion. We have anger. We have hatred. We have bitterness. We have all these other things that are not the fruit of the spirit that are in our society. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Remember, we're looking in uh, verse 20, starting in verse 25. 
And it says, let thine eyes look right on and let those eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to look on, pay attention to the path that you're on. We need to pay attention to things. We need to have the long look to understand that some of the choices we make have long-term repercussions. Some of the foolish things we do that God, you know, saves us from as a young person, if we had the long look, we wouldn't do them. Uh, as an example, I had a 1983 Z28 high output, uh, T-tops, uh, with the, the 305 V8 that somebody had nicely tuned up for me quite nicely and put some performance enhancements in that could go in excess of 138 miles an hour um, that um, did all sorts of other things. And as a young person, um, as I've said many times, as a young person, I didn't think I was invincible. I just never thought about the repercussions of what would happen if something went wrong. So one of the things I did at a couple of points in times living in Norfolk, Virginia, is there were bridge tunnels everywhere. So you'd go out in this bridge and then it'd go tunnel under the water, come back up the other side and bridge back into the next town. And I had to go, and no matter where you want in the Norfolk area, you have to take one of those to get anywhere. So it was not uncommon for me at night coming home late to say do a hundred and some miles an hour through that bridge tunnel. Now, somebody with a long look and common sense would go, you know what, at that high rate of speed, if there's an accident up ahead of you or somebody stopped in in a lane and you try to hit your brakes, there is not enough time and distance before you just come right into the back end of them, right? That would be a logical, wise thing. So what did I do? I didn't pay attention to that. God had already given me a warning about this particular thing. One time I was going from Pocatello, Idaho, where... where, um, well, it doesn't matter. I was going from Pocatello, Idaho, up to Idaho Falls, where I was living. A friend of mine had left about 15, 20 minutes before me uh, in his car, and I decided I was going to catch up to him. Uh, now, I will say this. I did catch up to him. But um, the sad part of the view is I didn't learn the lesson, which was what? One time I came over a hill there, and there was a semi being passed with an RV with a boat. Now, I don't know anything, if you know about RVs and boats, when you have that combination, they are not out there accelerating at a high rate of speed. <laughs> and especially on the interstate there going down that road, nobody follows the speed limits. Well, you've got two vehicles there that are loaded down. And so what I ended up doing was slamming on the brakes as much as I could, and it came to a very quick calculation of my brain. There was not enough distance to stop. So what did I end up doing? I ended up going out onto the shoulder, which is all like lava rock type stuff on the sides of the roads, and over and back in. Now, how did I do that? I don't know. God helped me out. So that gave me the fear of God for about, I don't know, a week, maybe two. And then here I am trying to catch up to my friend. Why? Because I didn't have the long look. And what's unfortunate is, you know, God's merciful. God can use angels to keep your car on the road. God can do all sorts of things. But there are times he goes, you're on your own. This is your, you you want it, you have it. That's a scary place to be. You don't ever want to be outside of the umbrella of God's protection. Um, About 350 years ago, a shipload of uh, travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. They established a town and elected a a city government, and they planned to the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. 
In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach everybody that was in government. And because who needs to go five miles into the West? You ever think about that? The same people who had gone on an ocean trip to get to a place because they had to want a vision, they wanted freedom, all the other stuff, did not have the vision to go five miles west from where they were at. They didn't have a long look. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to look in verse 17. Well, let's uh, let's go back to verse 16. For which we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So one of the things we need to look for while on the path is there's some things you shouldn't be looking at. I mean, let's just face it. Right now, today's modern age that we live in, whatever it is you want to look at, it, it just takes a modern device and you can go see it. Whatever it is, you can probably find it on the Internet, good or bad. You know, and because of that, we have the ability to be checking news sites and just constantly look at all this information. We have access to more information that in theory would allow us to be more knowledgeable and to be more wise than any other generation on this earth, unless you get to people who actually talk to God. But what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? We have all this available. And yet... How much time do we spend in this? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're back. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but is, is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Turn over to Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse fourteen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their people, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. One of the things that we have to remember in the greater context of things is whether you want to act like it or not, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And wherever you go, you're taking the Lord Jesus Christ with you. 
Whatever you're seeing, you're making the Lord Jesus Christ see. Whatever you're hearing, whatever you're saying, all those things are all still all bound out the same way. And you have to look for certain things, which are what? The Lord. You need to keep your eyes on the Lord. Yes, you're on this path and you're walking down it, but you need the Lord to help you and guide you and direct you on this path because you're going to come up to some whys in the road. And some of these whys on the road, how are you going to know which way to go? Uh, I'll give you an example. I'd gone to a Cisco training course for doing network routing and switching and things like that up in Seattle uh, back in the 90s. And I'd met a couple people there, had a good friendship with them. And they said, hey, you need to come. We have a job at Boeing. You need to come apply for this job. I was like, oh, work for Boeing. That'd be, I could suffer, you know. And I uh, said, well, come on out. So I went out, had an interview. There were about 10 people all around there, and they asked me different questions and everything else. And the manager, before I left, said, hey, you've got the job. It's yours. I was like, really? Only one interview? I mean, at the job I got now, I had like four or five interviews. I go, it says, nope, we want you. I said, great. And he said, you know, you're going to start working like 30 days from now. The day before I was supposed to go up there and sign all the paperwork for the job and do everything else, Boeing had a hiring freeze. Nope, no job. Well, prior to this, I've been praying to the Lord. It's like, God, I want you to open and shut doors. The question is, when God shuts the door, what's your heart attitude going to be? If God opens the door, what's your heart attitude going to be? Because God may open a door to you that he's not going to open to somebody else. He may be going to you and going, hey, I want you to be a pastor. Hey, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to be a Sunday school teacher. I want you to go out and witness to people. I want you, you know, it's like, hey, I can't do any of that stuff. God goes, don't worry. I have a huge uh, endeavor going on. You know, there's this other people that I need. They're prayer warriors. And I can tell you this person in my life, in our church, if there's a problem going up, I know the first person in my church who I'm calling or sending a text to. And I love my pastor, but it's not him. Who is it, honey? Remember? Mrs. Lapatoski. If I have a prayer request, she is the first person I'm calling. Why? Because she takes them serious. She's got sticky notes everywhere. She's got them on her bedpost. She's got them on her kitchen fridge. Why? Because she prays for people constantly. That's the kind of person I want praying for me. Now, yes, I'm praying for myself too because I'm selfish. But when something bad happens, that's the kind of person you want praying for you. Well, guess what? Every church needs somebody like that. Because there are times when circumstances in your life come, you need more than just you praying about it. Uh, you know, Pastor Stewart, who knows? There's people all over the world that have been praying for him with the situation that he's going through. There's missionaries I've, I've texted and said, hey, please pray for him. And they're like, I'm already praying for it. I already learned about it from, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And they're praying for it. We need that. Why? Because remember, there's this other guy out there that can answer prayers. Yeah. Ever thought about that? I'm a young person. God opened this door and, hey, this opportunity is here. Yeah, but was that from God? Did you even go back and ask God, hey, Lord, is this from you? Because right. if you think the devil can't answer prayers, you're sadly, sadly not understanding who your adversary is. Oh. And what he will do, because, see... Here's the, how subtle he is. If God goes to you and says, I want you to pray for so-and-so, the devil will go up to you and say, 
you know what? You really need to read your Bible. Because, see, he doesn't care if you do a good thing. He just doesn't want you to do the right thing. Because you remember when that little thing, when it goes through, it says there's a good and acceptable, which means there are good things you can do. God goes, doesn't count. That's a hard place to be because that is so much our society today. Hey, I am doing a good work. Yeah, but are you doing the work that God wants you to do? On top of that, not only is there acceptable, there's the perfect will. Ooh. God says there's good that I won't accept. There's good that I will accept. Oh, but wait, there's the perfect will of God. Are we spending the time in prayer? Are we asking other people to pray when it comes to big decisions in our life to make sure we're doing the perfect will of God? That's a whole different place to be. Because I know as a young person, I was... Hey, it looks like the door's open. That's good enough for me. This looks like it'd be fun. Let's go. And not understanding and having that long look to understand what God may want us to do. Why don't you turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. T. Lawrence once said, All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds awake to the day to find that it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for many act out their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to look in verse 13. It says, looking for that what? Blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. One of the things we need to do when we're looking at the uh, looking for things is understand what are you looking for? Are you really looking for the Lord to come back? I mean, there's a crown for it and it's easy to say, Hey, I'm looking for the crown, to, you know, for that crown. I'm looking for the Lord to get back. Why? Cause I don't like this world, but are you really looking for the Lord to come back? Or are you just looking for, I just want to get out of jail free. I want my little monopoly card. I just want to get out of the circumstances I'm in. I don't like the financial circumstances in. I don't like the health circumstances I'm in. I don't like my job. I don't like my car. I don't like fill in the blank with whatever that is for you. Whatever those circumstances might be. A vision is the capacity to create a compelling picture of the desired state of affairs that inspires people to respond. That which is desirable, which could be, should be, that which is attainable. A godly vision is right for the times, right for the church, and right for the people. A godly vision promotes faith rather than fear. A godly vision motivates people to action. A godly vision requires risk-taking. And a godly vision glorifies God, not people. I know a lot of people that have a vision about things. Uh, they want the quick buck. A friend of mine in the Navy, uh, his uh, younger brother, who wasn't the brightest bulb in the family, just to say that, um, he decided that he paid attention and got all the records for all in the state of Louisiana, all the um, state uh, lottery things that they had. And then he went through and he found the most common numbers, because I think it was like five numbers or six numbers, whatever it was for their lottery. He found the most common numbers, and then he just bet on those every time. 
And he said, Hey, look, I am, I'm winning, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. And it's like, no, you're not. You're playing the law of averages, not statistics. It's people like you that the lottery people want to spend money because you don't really understand what you're doing. But what was he looking for? He wanted the quick buck. He didn't want to have to work hard. He didn't want to have to do what he wanted. He just wanted a life of ease and get that quick stamp of, hey, I have got so much money. My life is good. I can do whatever I want. And the problem is, once again, not looking right is if that was all of the case, then why are all of these people in Hollywood on drugs and alcohol? Why are these rock stars dying left and right? With people who have more money than we'll ever send. Garth Brooks back in what was the mid to late 90s said, I've already made more money than my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren can ever spend. And are they happy? Are they content? If so, why are so many of them dying from all these different things, from drugs and alcohol and all this other stuff? Money isn't the be-all, end-all. But we act like in a society like it is. We need to look and have that long look of looking for the Lord coming back because he's coming back soon. I mean, let's just face it. Growing up, I've heard people off and on from the 70s onwards, the Lord's coming back here. The Lord's coming back here. Okay, well, just take a look what's going on in the world today. Wars, rumor of wars, pestilences, diseases, all these other things. We're getting close. How close? I don't know. God knows. But we should be expectant that he's coming back soon. So I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look in verse 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You can't look to yourselves for salvation, and we have so many people that do that. There are so many people that, well, you know, my righteousness. I'm a good person. I'm a whatever. And then you have ones that, oh, I'll blend it. Oh, I believe all that Jesus stuff, but I'm a good person. And see, I have to do so much good to outweigh my bad. And then I have this package deal that gets me into heaven. Right? I mean, let's just, let's just be realistic. There are so many people in this world that think, well, as long as I do more good than I did bad, I'm good. I'm in. Here's the problem with that. Do you have enough Bible knowledge to know what God considers a sin? Do you know that God sees into your heart and mind and understands what you're thinking, not even the things that you do, and just the thoughts of your own mind are enough to send you to hell? You don't have to do anything. But they don't have that kind of a look. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Right? That's what the song says. So if that's the case, I'm a debtor. It means I, my debt of sin, I couldn't pay. Jesus Christ paid it. So now I owe him. What am I going to do with that? Am I just going to go live my life? Because let's face it, there are a lot of Christians out there, and I know this bothers Calvinists and a lot of other people. You know what they really can't stand is somebody who's saved that just goes lives off in the world and never does anything for the Lord. That just totally, everything about it drives them nuts. That somebody who's saved could go out willingly and not live for the Lord. 
And it's like, hey, I lived it. I was in the military. I acted just like everybody else in the military did. I drank. I cussed. I, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, I did it. Was I saved? Absolutely. Was I backslidden? Absolutely. And by the way, just as a small note here, the further you go out away from the Lord, if you're saved, the more painful it is to come back. It's really easy to go downhill into the swamp and the muck and everything else. It's a whole nother thing when you get pulled back out of it. So my personal thing is just don't do it. Just say no. One of the hard things to do is when you're going through hard things in your life, that's when you need to look at the Lord even more. It's just not when things are easy. You know, it's not when you're skipping rope and you're chewing bubble gum and you're quoting verses all at the same time. You need to be looking unto the Lord when you're down on the floor with your face on it and your tears are just soaking the carpet. That's when you need to look at the Lord. And that's an easy thing to do. But sometimes people, when bad things happen, they get angry and bitter with God as if God, for some reason, just had it out for them. And what we don't realize is sometimes some of the difficulties in our coming in our lives are for us not just to learn, but to be able to use to reach somebody else. Because let's face it, some of the things I've gone through in my life help me to reach other people. But there's other stuff that have gone on. You know, I haven't had my stomach used as, well, let's just install a zipper for Pastor Stewart, you know, so they can just get in and out easy, right? I haven't been in a hospital, you know, except for one time in the military and boot camp because I got so sick with 106 temperature. Other than that, I haven't been in the hospital for me. So I don't know what it's like personally to go through some very difficult times in the hospital. I can pray for them. I can love on them. I can do all sorts of things. But it's a whole other thing when somebody comes up to you and goes, I know where you're at. I've lived. I've been there. That's a whole different thing. And you know what? When you have that opportunity to go witness to somebody or you have the opportunity to comfort somebody who's going through a hard part because you've been there, you understand exactly where they're at, all that pain and suffering you went through, now it's like, thank you, Lord, because I've been able to help somebody that you don't know how much they needed you to lift them up and encourage and strengthen them in the middle of that. And you know what? Somebody might have done that for you. It started like so many evenings, mom and dad at home, Jimmy playing after dinner. Mom and dad were absorbed with jobs and did not notice the time. It was a full moon and some of the light seeped through the windows. Then mom glanced at the clock. Jimmy, it's uh, it's time to go to bed. Go up and I'll come up and settle you later. Unlike usual, Jimmy went straight upstairs to his room. An hour or so later, his mother came up to check if all was well and to her astonishment found that her son was staring quietly out the window at the moonlit scenery. What are you doing, Jimmy, she said. I'm looking at the moon, Mommy. Well, it's time to go to bed. One reluctant boy settled down and he said, Mommy, you know, one day I'm going to walk on the moon. Who could have known that that boy in whom the dream was planted that night would survive a near uh, fatal motorbike crash which broke almost every bone in his body and would bring to fruition this dream 32 laters when James Irwin stepped on the moon's surface, just one of 12 representatives of the human race, to have done so. As amazing as it must be, because let's face it, if you show up to the parties and it's like, yeah, I walked on the moon, not too many people are going to be able to top that one. But the Lord's going to call us home one way or another. 
We may drive out of here and get in an accident and that's it. We may get a disease. There's all these different ways to go. The trumpet may blow and we're out at the last trump, we're out of here. What is it that you're doing? How are you looking at that path and where are you going to come out on that path when the trumpet blows? Don't you want to be doing good? I mean, I think most pastors go, you know what? I want the trumpet to blow on the Sunday PM service because that's when not too many of the, you know, AM service people show up. What are you going to be doing when the trumpet blows? Are you going to be looking? Have you been walking that path, paying attention to the Lord and looking up to the author and finisher of your faith and what he wants you to do in your life? Because let's face it, you can come to me and go, hey, what do you think God wants me to do in my life? You can go to Pastor Stewart, and if he's got the wisdom to tell you, praise God, I don't. I'll just flat out tell you, I don't know. But God does have a purpose for you, otherwise you wouldn't still be here. Obviously, God's not done with Pastor Stewart. Why? Because they've put him through the rinse cycle and the, you know, the stir him up a few times. Everything. He's still here. Why? God's not done with him. God still has a purpose for him. There's still more for us to do. There's people for us to reach. But we have to do that by staying, uh, paying attention to the path that we're on and not getting hung up on the things that we see, not getting hung up on the things that we hear. Because all of those things are to get us to be quiet, to be distracted, and not do whatever it is the Lord wants us to do. To be a godly father, to be a godly mother, to be a godly kid. Because, you know, no matter how old you are, you still have parents if they're still around. You're still their kid. They still think of you that way. I know my mom still does. But what are you going to do with your walk? It's your choice. God doesn't make you walk the perfect path. He's there with you whether you wander off or not. Well, that path that you choose to walk down is totally yours. Don't you want to be on the right path, doing the right thing, when the Lord says, it's time to come home, brother or sister? How great that's going to be. Have you thought of how wonderful it's going to be when God says, welcome home? I know you've been down in that mucky world and all the filth and the junk and all that stuff. Welcome home. I got some stuff to show you as he puts his arm around you. Come on. I want to, I want to show you your place. Oh, by the way, I got a new name for you. What an amazing thing that's going to be. And it's coming soon. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for everybody that's gathered here. I pray for each person, Lord, that you would bless them, that you'd encourage them, that you'd be with them in the difficulties they're experiencing right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just uh, minister to their needs. Lord, there's so many difficulties in the world and so many obstructions to serving you, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on you and not be distracted. And we pray for the services to come, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to each person, Lord. Bless them for coming. Bless them for hearing your word. And let you get all the praise, all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's through his blood we're trying to do things. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.